this is July 24, and every day is a holiday with Mary Stone. This is our podcast celebrating every day of everyone's life. Our message is simple, and it is that we are all of one spirit. What does that mean? The statement that we are all of one spirit challenges us to honor that which unites us. Instead of feeling the us and them mentality that will ultimately lead to our demise. We are all of one spirit. Holidays, holy days, happy days. We celebrate life, love, loss, and legacy. This is our Commonwealth. Today is the Memorial Day of Christina the Astonishing, a Christian holy woman born in Belgium. She was considered a saint in her own time and for centuries following her death. Her notoriety began when she was 21 years old, about to be buried, and already in the church resting in an open coffin, according to the custom of the time. During the Agnes Day of her funeral mass, she arose, stupefying with amazement the whole city of St. Trond, which had witnessed this wonder. She eventually truly died at the age of 74. Christina receives attention today for the strange descriptions of her miracles, as much as for her faith. Christina was born into a pagan family, the youngest of three daughters. After being orphaned at the age of 15, she worked taking the herds to pasture. She suffered a massive seizure when she was in her early 20s. Her condition was so severe that witnesses assumed she had died. A funeral was held, but during the service, she arose full of vigor. She levitated up to the rafters, later explaining that she could not bear the smell of the sinful people there. She related that she had witnessed heaven, hell, and purgatory. She said that as soon as her soul was separated from her body, angels conducted it to a very gloomy place entirely filled with souls whose torments endured there were such that it was impossible for them to describe. She claimed that she had been offered a choice, either to remain in heaven or return to earth to perform penance to deliver souls from the flames of purgatory. Christina agreed to return to life and arose that same moment. She told those around her that she returned for the sole purpose of relief of the departed and conversion of sinners. Christina renounced all comforts of life, reduced herself to extreme destitution, dressed in rags, lived without home or hearth, and not content with deprivations, she eagerly sought all that could cause her suffering. At first, she fled human contact and was suspected of being possessed, was jailed. Upon her release, she took up the practice of extreme penance. Thomas of Cantepierre, who was a professor of theology, wrote a report eight years after her death, based on the accounts of those who knew her. Cardinal Jacques de Vertray, who met with her, said that she would throw herself into burning furnaces and there suffered great tortures for extended times, uttering frightful cries, 
yet coming forth with no sign of burns upon her. In winter, she would plunge into the frozen Meuse River for hours and even days and weeks at a time, all while praying to God and imploring God's mercy. She sometimes allowed herself to be carried by the currents downriver to her mill where the wheel whirled her round in a manner frightful to behold. Yet, she never suffered any dislocations or broken bones. She was chased by dogs which bit her. After being incarcerated a second time, she moderated her approach somewhat upon her release. Christina died at the Dominican Monastery of St. Catherine in St. Trudent of Natural Causes, aged 74. The prioress there later testified that, despite her behavior, Christina would humbly and fully obey any command given her by the prioress. We have, says St. Robert Bellamarin, reason to believe his testimony, since he has for guarantee another grave author, James de Vitry, bishop and cardinal, and because he relates what happened in his own time and even in the province where he lived. Besides, the sufferings of this admirable virgin were not hidden. Everyone could see that she was in the midst of the flames without being consumed and covered with wounds every trace of which disappeared a few moments afterwards. But more than this was the marvelous life she led for 42 years after she was raised from the dead, God clearly showing that the wonders wrought in her by virtue from on high. The striking conversions which she effected and the evident miracles which occurred after her death manifestly proved the finger of God and the truth of that which, after her resurrection, she had revealed concerning the other life. Thus, argues Bellarmine, God willed to silence those libertines who make open profession of believing in nothing, and who have the audacity to ask in scorn who has returned from the other world, who has ever seen the torments of hell or purgatory. Behold two witnesses. They assure us that they have seen them, and they are dreadful. What follows then, if not the incredulous, are inexcusable, and that those who believe, and nevertheless neglect to do penance, are still more to be condemned? One person's opinion is held that Christina's Vita is an example of credulous medieval superstition. Historia, historian Barbara Newman finds that there is reason to understand Christina's behavior in terms of hysteria, though Newman fails to account for the fact that Christina flew from the floor to the rafters of the church after being resurrected from the dead. Today is also Simon Bolivar Day. Simon Jose Antonio de la Santrista Trinidad Bolivar y Placidos, whew, known as El Libertadora, was a Venezuelan military and political leader who played a leading role in the establishment of Venezuela, Bolivia, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, and Panama as sovereign states, independent of Spanish rule.
Bolivar was born into a wealthy aristocratic Creole family and was sent to be educated abroad at a young age, arriving in Spain when he was 16 and later moving to France. While in Europe, he was introduced to the ideas of the Enlightenment, later motivating him to overthrow the reigning Spanish. Taking advantage of the disorder in Spain, prompted by the Peninsular War, Bolivar began his campaign for independence in 1808, appealing to the wealthy Creole population through a conservative process and established an organized national congress within three years. Despite a number of hindrances, including the arrival of an unprecedentedly large Spanish expeditionary force, the revolutionaries eventually prevailed, culminating in the Patriot victory at the Battle of Carabobo in 1821, which effectively made Venezuela an independent country. Following this triumph over the Spanish monarchy, Bolivar practiced, participated in the foundation of the first union of independent nations in Latin America, Gran Colombia, of which he was president from 1819 to 1830. Through further military campaigns, he ousted Spanish rulers from Ecuador, Peru, and Bolivia, named after him. He was simultaneously president of Gran Colombia, current Venezuela, Colombia, Panama, and Ecuador, and Peru, while his second-in-command, Antonio José de Sucre, was appointed president of Bolivia. He aimed at a strong and united Spanish America able to cope not only with the threats emanating from Spain and the European Holy Alliance, but also with the emerging power of the United States. At the peak of his power, Bolivar ruled over a vast territory from the Argentine border to the Caribbean Sea. Bolivar is, along with Argentine General José de San Martín, considered one of the great heroes of the Hispanic independence movements of the early 19th century. At the end of his life, Bolivar despaired of the situation in the region with the famous quote, all who serve the revolution have plowed the sea. Earlier, in an address to the Constituent Congress of the Republic of Colombia, Bolivar stated, fellow citizens, I blush to say this, Independence is the only benefit we have acquired, to the detriment of all the rest. July 24, Pioneer Day, is celebrated yearly in Mormon country, and increasingly on an international scale among Latter-day Saints. On this date, in 1847, the first Mormon pioneers, 143 men, three women, and two children, led by Brigham Young, entered the uninhabited Salt Lake Valley. They began a pioneer settlement of more than 400 communities in the Intermountain West, Canada, and Mexico. Before the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad in 1869, 80,000 Mormon refugees and converts went west in a perpetual immigration. 6,000 lost their lives and were buried along the way. 
In the annals of the American frontier, wrote historian Purnell H. Benson, there is no more thrilling story. On July 24, this story is commemorated annually by a huge parade in Salt Lake City and is also celebrated frequently in drama. For example, the Promise Valley musical, poetry and song. The holiday is typically marked by sunrise services and throughout the Later Day Saints communities by Old West reenactments. In church programs, commemorative addresses are given and family journals and reminiscences are revived. The close conjunction of the festivity, festivities of July 4 and 24 tends to focus on the Mormon exodus as a quest for religious freedom. But, like the Puritan movement and the Jewish Aliyah, it was not at root a quest for the sacred. It grew out of the vision of a consecrated community, the kingdom of God on earth. The festivities of July 24 attempt to regain and extend that vision. There is always a holiday somewhere on this planet. Find a reason for joy and share it. Thank you for sharing your time with us. I'm Mary Stone, the Irreverent Interfaith Reverend, with my writing partner, the Holy Mess, and Holy Nice, Brian O'Malley.